BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Doc Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. What up? It's the Crossover Pod Friday edition. I'm Howard Beck, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. Really fascinating discussion on the pod today. My guest is Larry Miller, the longtime Nike and Jordan brand executive and former president of the Portland Trailblazers. That resume is probably all that you knew about Larry Miller if you were familiar with him at all. Uh, He's more of a behind-the-scenes guy, but longtime friend and confidant of Michael Jordan. He's got all the NBA's biggest stars and owners and top executives on speed dial. He's a powerful behind-the-scenes figure in basketball, but it's his life before all of this that's put him in the spotlight today. Larry has a book out called Jump, My Secret Journey from the Streets to the Boardroom. The secret in that title is Larry Miller spent nearly a decade in prison before he turned 30, and that when he was 16 years old and running with a gang in West Philadelphia, he shot and killed another teenager. That story had never been told and was completely unknown to everyone in Larry Miller's world. No one at Nike knew, no one in the NBA, almost no one, period, until last October when Larry Miller divulged his past in a story that we published on SI.com. I interviewed Larry for that story back in September. We really hadn't spoken since then until this week, and a lot 
has happened in addition to the book now being out. The New York Times published a story about the victim's family and their anguish at reading about his murder and learning Larry Miller's identity. That set in motion a chain of events that led to a meeting between the family and Larry Miller in December. What happened in that meeting? How has Larry Miller dealt with the backlash since his public revelation? And what's next? We talk about all of that today on The Crossover. That conversation is coming up next, so stick around. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. Now very pleased to be joined by the chairman of the Jordan Brand Advisory Board and former longtime president of the Jordan Brand, Larry Miller. Larry, welcome. Good to see you. Hey, Howard. Good to see you as well. Uh, congratulations on the book. We discussed it some months ago, but now it's actually out. It's actually in my my hands. I got to read it cover to, to cover. Congrats on that. It is compelling. It's enlightening. Um, it's difficult. Uh, even more so for you having written it, but I think at times as a reader, um, it's, it's, it, it takes us down a path and, and you do it in a way that I think, um, you know, we'll, we'll take the readers on, on your journey in a way that I, I hope will generate both, um, empathy and, um, an understanding. So uh, let me back up as for the listeners sake, And especially for those who maybe didn't read my story with you from a few months ago, you and I sat down last September in your office to discuss this book, which was still months away from being published. So I hadn't even had a chance to to read it at that time. And we published a story at that time with the headline, he rose to the highest levels of business and basketball, but with a secret. Uh, That secret, of course, is that when you were 16 years old, during a period of time when you were with a gang in West Philly, you shot and killed another teenager, uh, an 18-year-old named Edward David White. You served time in prison for that uh, and for other crimes. You used your time in prison to get an education and to put you on the path to to where you are today and where you've been for the last few decades. Uh, But you kept that part of your life hidden for a half century. Michael Jordan, who you worked for, didn't know. Folks at Nike didn't know. Adam Silver, others in the NBA didn't know. And then you decided to divulge this secret in your book. And you sat down with me last fall because... You wanted, as I understood, to kind of break the news ahead of the book so that it wouldn't leak out, so that you could kind of get this piece of it out there. That story posted on October 13th, and your secret was out for the world to see, to process, and to judge. And there was certainly a lot of that that I saw. So I kind of want to pick up where you and I left off, because aside from a couple texts right after, you and I have not spoken since then. Um what happened next for you, Larry? The story publishes on October 13th. What was that day and the days that followed like for you in terms of the response? Uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it was rewarding and challenging. I will put it that way. Um, the rewarding part was um, there were so many people um, that reached out and uh, were encouraging, supportive, uh, you know, thought that I was doing the right thing by telling my story. Um, and then, you know, there were people or uh, situations where, you know, um, people responded negatively to it. And I think um, <clears throat> one of the things that I 
take full responsibility for is the fact that uh, we didn't, we weren't able to connect with Mr. White's family before this became public. And I, I take full responsibility for that. We should have pushed harder. We should have looked harder. Um, but for me, it was a, uh, <clears throat> it was something I knew I had to do and I wanted to do, but I was nervous about doing it. So I probably didn't push and pursue it as hard as I should have. And, you know, I, I take full responsibility for that and have apologized to them for that. Yeah. And I want to get into that in a minute here. Um, were you aware of whether it was on social media, which I am exposed way, way too much to uh, in my line of work, whether it was social media or other media, some of the backlash and some of the response, because people reacted in a way, obviously a lot of people just responded to a headline or a tweet and didn't read the story. They're like, oh, well, he should be put in jail. There's no statute of limitations. And of course, they're missing the whole point that you actually did serve your time that, you know, uh, the, 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 the criminal justice system, for whatever its flaws may be and however people may view it, you were, uh, you know, convicted and served your time. So there was that response. There were a lot of people who put this in, you know, this this became for a moment, at least as I saw it on social media, another flashpoint in the culture wars where people on the far right were trying to make you the latest symbol of whatever is ailing our society. So there were a lot of different spins on this and backlash to it um, and empathy as well. But in terms of the backlash, how much did you feel that or were you exposed to it? Did your family tell you about it? So so I, I, I'm, um, I'm not someone who, who is deeply involved in social media. So I didn't read any of the responses, whether they were positive or negative. I heard about the responses. I heard about people saying, uh, you know, oh, he's going to go to jail. I'm like, they obviously didn't read the story. But to me, you know, I, I guess um, the way I, the way I've kind of approached doing this, Howard, is that I believe that I've done the right thing by telling this story, by putting it out there. Yeah, there were some bumps in terms of things that I probably should have done different, like, uh, you know, connect with uh, Mr. White's family before the story became public. But I still believe that um, this is the right thing and that it will have a positive impact on a number of people. So, um, you know, I like I said, I didn't didn't read a lot of the stuff, positive or negative. And um, and I just am continuing to focus on why we did this and why I think this is going to be uh, something that can benefit and help other people. So I really didn't didn't get too involved in the negative sure. or the positive feedback. It was more, and, and to me, you know, most of the feedback that I got directly was from people that I know and people who reached out to me to say, you know what, um, what you're doing is the right thing. I know who you are today. I know that's not who you, you who you, you're not who you were back then. And, uh, and again, to me, that's where, that's where my focus was, not necessarily on on any of the negative stuff, because, uh, you know, once I uh, was able to connect with Mr. White's family and spend some time with them and kind of, you know, start the healing process with them, I, I wasn't really that concerned about the negative stuff that was out there. Yeah. Well, you know, look, your your book, you know, a very strong theme and one of your motivations for writing the book was that you wanted to convey to others who uh, have have taken a turn, a wrong turn in their lives and might have ended up in prison um, or or other things that they might have gone through, that you can be an example of how you can turn your life around and still have a, a productive uh, life and, and be part of society. 
Um, there's that theme. There are themes of redemption in your book and in the interview that, that you and I did back in September. There's lessons here that, you know, uh, certainly are, are part of your motivation for telling your story all these years later. You didn't have to finally do this. And there is part of this that was kind of a, a you know, for your own, I think, peace of mind and inner peace. But this other aspect of it is that you wanted to further some of these issues. You want to bring uh, back some of these programs to the prison system where people can uh, get on an education release or a work release. There's a lot of these things and it got lost, I think, for some people because of their, their, their harsh reactions, the vitriolic or judgmental reactions, which I understand. And I'm not judging anybody for their judgment or the way they reacted. I understand that people took the story in a variety of ways. Some criticism that came up though, Larry, I, I definitely understood. And you've, you've kind of touched on some of it um, that you hadn't reached out to the family of, of Edward David White ahead of time and didn't tell them. And so they were as, as the New York times story a month later, put it out there, they were blindsided by, by my story, by, by your disclosure of my story. Um, the times did a story, you know, a month later, as I said, they spoke to several family members. Um, they were pretty anguished about it. You and your reps declined comment. I should note for that piece, but there was another piece that just ran a few days ago before you and I are taping this, um, that you and the family did meet on, I believe, December 17th with, uh, David White's sister and his son and daughter. Um, and you did speak to the times for, for that story. I should note, give me a little sense of how that, that meeting finally came about and <clears throat> what that meant for you and for them to, to be in a room together and discuss. So, so I have to go back uh, to your story because uh, you, including Mr. White's name was really what opened this, this all up because uh, to your point, I hadn't mentioned his name, um, and and you know, to my, uh, I should have, I should have reached out to the family. I acknowledge that, um, but your story actually opened the door, and then the New York Times story, uh, even though it had some maybe negative connotations to it, it really did uh, allow uh, the connection because we reached out to the reporter who and and asked if he would put us in contact with the family. Because uh, up to that point, up until the time the New York Times article ran, we still hadn't made contact. We were trying. Uh, we had a private investigator who was looking to try to track down, you know, because we had no idea who from the family was still around or what the situation was. Um, so that really, in hindsight, uh, was a positive thing because it opened up the door. It allowed us to make the connection through the reporter um, we reached out and asked if they would be willing to meet with us. Um, they were, and it was, uh, it was an amazing situation for me. I mean, walking into the meeting, uh, I was nervous. I was anxious and didn't know what to expect from them. And I'm sure it was the same on, on their side. Um, you know, the meeting started out, I, I sat down and, you know, uh, express my sorrow and remorse for what I had done and the pain that I had caused their family. Um, and they then uh, each spoke uh, their feelings, shared their feelings. And then, but, but the, but at the end of each one of them um, speaking and sharing their feelings, they said, um, but I forgive you. And to me, uh, if nothing else comes out of this book, that is the most important thing for me personally. I, I'm still hoping that other people can benefit from this. And that was the reason we did it. But for me personally, 
um, having that forgiveness from the family, it means everything to me. And it's the most important thing that could have come out of this. Um, after we, we, we talked uh, about, um, after they all said their piece and forgave, we talked about uh, how we would work together to memorialize Mr. White. And, um, and we're in the process of, of, of doing that right now. We're, we're in the process of working that out right now. Um, at the end of the meeting, uh, they each hugged me. And I couldn't have asked for anything more than that, um, to have their forgiveness, to have them, you know, say that, uh, you know, they, they forgive me and they want to move on together and figure how we can heal together from this. So, uh, so the meeting uh, could not have gone better from my perspective. Yeah. I, I imagine that must have been a very emotional and, and emotionally taught room. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how long you guys were there, how, how long this, this conversation lasted, but, um, uh, you know, this, this is, this is obviously, you know, years in the making, you started writing this book with your daughter many years ago. And, and, you know, I, I'm sure you couldn't have anticipated that this is where this would end up, but, um, what, what was, you know, what was the emotional tenor for, for you and for them? And do you think everybody left there, you know, feeling that this is now, look, I mean, nothing, nothing can bring back Mr. White, nothing can change, you know, uh, how it, how it's impacted them or impacted you. Um, but do you leave with a different sense that day? I, I did. I, and, and again, it was to their credit. And, I, you know, they're, they're an amazing family, amazing people. And to their credit, you know, for them to, to express forgiveness, um, you know, that just, took, took, that just took me to a whole nother level in terms of, um, like I said, the, the benefit of doing this again. The, the intention initially was, as you know, we talked about, um, you know, how this could help other people, how this could motivate and inspire some people just by hearing my story and hearing, you know, what I've been through and what I've been able to accomplish in spite of that. The whole idea was that, hey, this could potentially motivate and inspire some people. One of the things that came out of it for me that I, again, didn't know would be a part of this was the fact that um, being able to get that forgiveness from the family and start the healing process on, on both sides. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You, you kind of touched on this, but looking back, do you think you should have included his name in the book or more about him in the book? Obviously, you didn't know him. You didn't, you know, on the, on, on the day that this incident happened in, in 1965, he was just a stranger on a street corner who you assumed to be a gang member of a rival gang, and he, he was not. Um, but, you know, it, what was the thought process in writing the book of, of deciding not to use his name? I guess the, the family has also asked, could it be, be included in, in later editions? Where well, does that go? So, so you know, for me, the reason um, the reason we didn't include his name was that uh, I thought I was in some ways protecting the family by not including the name. But I realized now that was a mistake, uh, and that you know I should have reached out to them before this became public, and 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 you know had had a a connection with them beforehand. Um, but uh, but again. You know, it. it I, I, I thought I was doing the right thing by not mentioning him, and I realize now that was not the right thing to do. I mean, I'll be honest, and I don't want to make this about me or about Sports Illustrated, but I mean, from a journalistic standpoint, I, th- I think we struggled with it a little bit too. It was a discussion. I mean, you know, like, look, we don't have the book in front of us, but we know that Larry did not name the victim when we discussed, when we sat down uh, for this interview. We know that from what we gathered, the name is not in the book. But we found something, you know, we, we you know, our, our researchers found it and, 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 you know, we felt that was, you know, our obligation journalistically. Um, I, I guess, look, it, it, it led to a good place for all for all no. of you. And so I, I, no, I no. guess that's that's the good part. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I have no issue with, you know, the fact that you guys were able to, to find a name and, and put it in the article. Uh, again, you're doing you're doing good investigative reporting. Um, and, and again, I think where it ended up uh, has been beneficial because again, I, I knew and we wanted to uh, try to connect and try to find them. But like I said, I didn't push it as hard as I should have. I didn't, wasn't as aggressive as I should have been uh, with trying to find them. But I think in hindsight, um, you know, you speeded up something that we were trying to do because Again, we would have eventually gotten to reaching out to them. But I think by you including his name, Mr. White's name in the article, um, that kind of speeded up the process and it got us to where we are today. So, again, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that we have been able to make that connection. Um, you mentioned trying to work with the family on some things to kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know, create a, a, a remembrance of or tribute to Mr. White. Um, I think there was discussion of maybe a scholarship fund or maybe other things for the family. Um, what 
what to the extent that you can talk about it right now because I know things are kind of in motion. But uh, what possible? Um, uh, so yeah, Sorry. so we have agreed that uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna figure out how to uh, develop a scholarship fund in his name. Um, we're in the process of trying to figure out what that's going to look like and how that's going to how that's going to work. But we have agreed to work together, us and Mr. White's family, to figure that out and to come up with something that that we both feel really, really good about. And again, um, I think this is all part of the healing process that we're both both kind of feeling. And, um, you know, and I, and I think, uh, you know, at this point we're at a good place where we will be able to, to figure out something that, that, that we all feel memorializes him in a way that, that we feel good about. Larry, I feel like that adds even an additional layer here to your deciding to come forward with your story, right? Like you went into this, into the book, um, with, with the thought that you could provide an example and also that maybe you could change the minds of people on the outside of how we view people who are incarcerated, people who have committed felonies, people who have committed various crimes and about the possibility for people to turn their lives around and, and to find uh, redemption. And so those lessons were baked into your thought process for the book. And, and when you and I sat down some months ago, this is adding another layer where I feel like, you know, in, in, in this, in this very, you know, uh, I think cold and sometimes um, very cruel society we, we are in sometimes. Empathy is, uh, I think, hard to come by. Forgiveness even more so. And uh, I, I don't want to start getting all, all, all luxury here, and I'm sure you don't either, but I, I do feel like you and the family coming together and the, 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 the possible uh, positives that are coming out of this, the scholarship fund and other things, like the, the possibility of, of people finding empathy and forgiveness in the most extreme of circumstances here, um, I just think is really important. And, uh, you know, that, I think that layer that adds on to this, I think should, should not be forgotten either as, as people kind of try to process your story. I, I, I agree a hundred percent. And I, and you're right. I think, you know, this was um, the whole idea of forgiveness and empathy and uh, healing, you know, wasn't top of mind in terms of when we started out to do this, but it's evolved and become, I I agree with you. I think it's become a really important part of this whole project that we've got going here. I mean, for people to see um, Mr. White's family and hear of Mr. White's family being forgiving and being willing to work with me and my daughter and, you know, in terms of helping to, to determine or come up with a way to memorialize him. I think those are things that maybe people can also learn from in terms of, you know, forgiving and, uh, and redemption and, and, and empathy. I think those are things that, um, you know, the world maybe needs a little bit more of these days. And if this can be an example of that, and I, again, I give all credit to Mr. White's family. They are the ones that, um, you know, that were willing to to extend this forgiveness. And so I give all, all the credit to them. And I think they are, you know, an example of what people can do and how people can forgive. And I think, again, they're, they're a great example for for the world today, just with everything that's going on in the world today. I think that family and the way they have approached us are, are a great example for people. 
I thought about this um, in the days after the story ran and, and, and recently as I was kind of you know diving back into this and reading your book. I think some of the backlash, to the extent that there is was some backlash to the story, um, is, is colored by your success, frankly. There's a resentment, I think, that after the, the, the crimes you committed, that you were able to build this incredible career with a degree of, of wealth and, and influence and, you know, cl- you know, close to, to famous figures and celebrities and all this. And I think like people wouldn't have cared as much if you just become, you know, a software engineer or, or an insurance salesman or, or something. And so I think there's that aspect of it. Um, but again, the th- one of the themes of your book is that wherever you come from and whatever you have done, there is a chance to have a, di- a different life, a better life, a more productive life. Um, do you yourself sometimes find it hard to reconcile these 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 two aspects of of your life? And, and how how do you think people should view your success in light of of the, the you know the path that preceded it? You know, I, I, I do a, a lot of times, uh, Howard. I have to pinch myself and say, you know, how how did I get to this point? And I, I know, you know, I know I've worked hard. I know I've, um, you know, tried to do everything I can to, uh, you know, to be successful and to build a career. Uh, it's not like anything, I feel like anything was given to me. I feel like I worked for it. But I do understand and realize that I've been extremely blessed and fortunate in my life. And, um, you know, I, I would hope that instead of being resentful uh, about it, that people would look at it and, say, wow, you know, that's an incredible story that this person was able to come from where he came from and involved in all the things that he was involved in, was able to turn his life around uh, and really become someone who's made a contribution to to the world, to society. And I think, uh, you know, if if folks don't see it that way, there's nothing I can do about that. But for me, uh, you know, I know and understand and realize how fortunate and how blessed I've been. But again, I, I think I, I, I know nothing was given to me. I, I worked to get what I've what I've been able to do. And again, I know um, that, you know, when people look and say, OK, you know, yeah, you you did this and, you know, now you're you're here doing these things. Um, again, I, I, I agree with you. I think if my career was different if I was. You know, like you said, a uh, you know software engineer or something. I think it would be a little different because my career has been kind of public, and I um, you know have been involved with a lot of well-known and public people. Uh, I think that adds another layer to it. That, uh, but but again, I'm hoping that people look at that and say, "Wow, if this guy was able to do that. Then maybe I can accomplish the things that I want to accomplish, or maybe I can." you know, take my life to a different path or go down a different direction. And, uh, you know, and I, I, again, I go back to um, the opportunities that I was given, even when I was incarcerated and the ability to get involved in um, the educational release program that I got involved in, that was a, a game changer for me. That was something that, you know, I was able to take advantage of that really put my life on a totally different path. And, uh, you know, so, Again, that's one of the reasons that, that that I've done this, that, you know, hopefully to highlight those programs like that and the fact that the one I was involved in in Pennsylvania doesn't exist anymore. But um, but again, I, like I said, I'm just hoping that, you know, I, I can't control how people view my story. I can't control how people react to it. 
Um, but my hope is that, uh, you know, people would see it as something that um, can be aspirational and maybe inspire some people. Yeah. And I guess my question for those people is this, and I'm, you know, I'm not here to tell anybody how they should think about it. Um, and everybody views these things their own way and, and through, through, through their own values prism, I guess. But what is the alternative um, for us as a society that anybody who commits a crime and especially, you know, obviously a serious crime as, as homicide, okay, you, you put them away forever and their life is forfeit and, and there's, there's, there's no chance for redemption. There's no chance for, for renewal to, to move on, to do something else. Like, it, does that mean that everybody's just locked up and, and the keys they're thrown away? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't really understand the mindset of people who have that resentment. I understand they might be horrified at, at some of the things that happened earlier in your life, but, um, you know, the point of our prison system, I, as I've always understood it, the justice system is not just to punish, but to try to rehabilitate. Like somewhere in there, there's supposed to be rehabilitation too. So if people don't believe in second chances or the ability for a, a human being to evolve, especially someone who makes a mistake as you did at age 16, then I, I don't know where that leaves us. And so um, I'm trying not to judge too harshly those who are judging you and your story but i also feel like this is this is part of the problem with where we are sometimes in society that people do not have any ability to step back and say you know um that that that, that people can evolve and that that those opportunities should be there witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I want to read a, a, a quick passage from from the book, if you don't mind. Um, and in terms of your your trying to or, or processing the, the, this, that's you say that the remorse over my killing another black boy in West Philly when I was sixteen would never ease, nor should it. Owning up to the fact that I had taken a life might begin to free me, but only to a certain point. I will forever mourn his loss. 
Moving forward, I know True Peace will only become will only come by offering up opportunities to other kids in my old shoes for options beyond the streets and the violence. And you and I, Larry, talked about that exact idea um, back in, in September. So tell me about that aspect of it and what you're doing now at this stage of your life in trying to help those who might be walking down a similar path or at least coming from similar uh, backgrounds in, in, in rougher neighborhoods, violent neighborhoods as, as you did. What are the, the initiatives that you're, you're getting into? So, so again, one of the, one of the purposes or reasons for doing this is that, you know, um, you know, maybe there's a, a 16 year old Larry Miller out there somewhere who is headed down the wrong path or about to do something you know, that, that they'll regret for the rest of their lives. And maybe, you know, reading this or hearing this or hearing how I'm feeling at this point based on what I did might, might change, might change their perspective. Um, we've gotten involved with uh, an organization called the Vera Institute for Justice. Uh, not sure. No, no, if you're familiar with them, but they do a lot of really good work, both with people in currently incarcerated and folks who are, uh, who were formerly incarcerated. They do a lot of really good work with helping people educationally, with job skills, with, uh, you know, uh, uh, adapting and reacclimating to society. So, so we're, we're, um, we've connected with them and we're going to do, be doing some work with that group. Um, there's also uh, in Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Juvenile Justice System High School inside of, it's the high school inside of the juvenile justice system. Uh, the juvenile jail there. And uh, we have connected with them and going to uh, be working with that group to maybe help some of those uh, 16-year-old Larry Millers in there who maybe we can change their perspective or change their outlook on life. Because, you know, to me, one of the things that, uh, you know, we talked about and you and I talked about this, changing the perception people have of formerly incarcerated people, you know, being able to, willing to give them opportunities. But I also think that a big part of it is for people to change the perception of themselves, people to really, you know, change the idea of who they are or who they can be. Because I think that's a big part of, uh, of the issue. I think in a lot of cases, uh, people in that environment, in that situation, don't see themselves as being able to change their life. They don't see themselves as being able to do anything differently. And I think, you know, hopefully um, this story can lead people to understand that they can do something different with their lives. They can change their lives. They just have to, you know, be, uh, be willing to do the work and look for the opportunities and hopefully the opportunities will be there for them. But, um, but for me, I think it's really about changing the perception of yourself. So I had to I had to think about and change the idea that I can, you know, I, I can do something different. I can change my life. I can go down a different path. I had to really accept and believe that about myself. And I think that's one of the hardest things for a lot of people who are incarcerated or formerly incarcerated. It's changing that perception that, you know what, I can do something different with my life. And, you know, here are some opportunities for me to take advantage of that will allow me to, to do that. Um, on the, uh, the education release, work release type programs, I think there, you mentioned Pell Grants, and there were other things that were available to you at the time that you were in prison, that you were able to uh, get your degree through Temple University. Uh, and, and, you, and you mentioned that, that some of these programs just don't exist anymore. Are you um, spending some time as well, uh, whether it's working with 
lawmakers, um, legislators in Pennsylvania, or maybe at the federal level, uh, to try to restore some of those programs? That, that is absolutely one of the goals of, uh, uh, of this, this project, is to start to work with and figure out how you know, I can help uh, to reimplement some of these programs. Because again, to me, if I was there today and coming out, I couldn't do what I've done because I wouldn't have access to the program that really started the whole process for me. So, uh, you know, looking at how I can help, um, you know, change that perspective or help get those programs re-implemented or in places where they do have programs like that, helping to enhance those programs and make them even, even bigger. That definitely is a goal. Um, we haven't directly connected with anyone yet. And I think through the Beer Institute, we'll be able to, to uh, you know, really have some of that, that kind of impact as far as changing rules, changing laws, changing how um, the, the correction systems actually uh, treat and provide opportunities for, for incarcerated people. Um, in reading the book, the time in prison sounds harrowing at times. And, and I think it could have certainly pushed you further down a certain path. Um, you, you, you recall an incident where you witnessed an inmate killing a prison guard basically right in front of you, uh, right in front of everyone. Um, and, and you, you note that that was night, that night in your cell, you decided I'm, I'm going to learn my way out essentially. Uh, is that the, the actual turning point, uh, or there multiple turning points along the way? I mean, I think the two questions people might have would be, how does, you know, and you described yourself, you know, as, as a model student up until the time that you had drifted into this gang, you know, those are the two things, right? Like, how does a kid end up in a gang who was, you know, a, a great student and really smart and, and had such promise ahead of him? How does he go down this path? And then the second question becomes the, oh my gosh, once you're, you've, you've gone down this path and, 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 and the, the, the gravity of the crimes and being in prison, how do you turn your life around to the point where, you know, you've spent uh, obviously a, a very you know, fruitful career uh, with Nike, Jordan brand, um, obviously the Portland Trailblazers along the way. Uh, I, I think those are for people who are actually interested in, in, in the human experience and what we are capable of, both good and bad. I think those are the questions that, that I think uh, resonate the most. Well, I think, you know, um, starting with uh, starting with the situation of, of turning things around while I was in jail and really, you know, to me, when I when I first heard about this educational release program, um, to me, the incentive was, well, this is a better way to do my time I, to, be, to be able to do my time outside the jail and leave every day and go to school and come that's a great way to do time so i'm a, that that was the initial motivation for me was like hey i know i'm i know i can handle these classes i know i can you know do this work so this is a way for me to kind of get out sooner and have do a better way to do time as i kind of got into it and started taking the classes and started you know talking to people at the different schools that were coming into the program as counselors and things like that, you know, I started to really believe like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm rather than just use this as a way to kind of get out or to do my time easier, really, maybe there really is something here that I can do to really change my life. And I think that was a gradual situation. It wasn't like overnight. I'm like, Oh, you know, tomorrow it was more of a gradual, like, you know, this, this could really work for me. And, and if I, focus on this and dedicate my effort and my time and my energy to trying to make this work and trying to see if I can change my life, 
maybe I can. And I think that's what what kind of kind of spurred that change for me. It was more of a gradual, like, okay, you know, I think I can really, I think I can really do this. I think I can really, you know, get out of this lifestyle and get away from this situation and and not come back here anymore. And I think, uh, you know, the more I, the more I got into it, the more I started to believe that. And then as I started to believe it, I was able to, um, you know, to manifest it. But, and then, you know, the other part of how does a young, you know, straight A student, I think, uh, to me, for me, it was it was the allure of the street, and I don't know, you know, I I, I know that's not um, that's not something I should have been, but it was just the whole idea of this cool street, you know, being being a part of that. It became um, something that was attractive to me, and at a certain point, I it became more important to me to impress people in the street than parents and teachers, because up to that point. I was always trying to be the best kid to impress my parents, impress my teachers. And at a certain point, you know, that focus shifted to impress the people in the street. That's where I want to be. You know, that's where I want to be established. And, and I, I, you know, looking back now, um, you know, I, I know I should have stayed on that path that I was on. I probably would have been able to, you know, accomplish even more uh, in my life. But um but again, to me, it was that, that allure of, of, of being a part of what was cool in the street. And like I said, of impressing people in the street versus teachers, parents. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. There's um, you, we we can feel the struggle in, in in your book. If people read the book, you'll they'll they'll get the sense of this. But when you come out of prison initially, and you're still kind of drawn back into the life a little bit, 
uh, dealing drugs, uh, some you know some some robberies, other things like it. It it seems like it was much more difficult to to make that break. Um, both, both in terms of habit and, and just mentally, than than people would think. It's not just you wake up one day and decide I'm gonna I'm gonna live on the straight and narrow. But you know, there are there are other other uh, pressures and, and tugs uh, along the way, and 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 it, and it's you you do get drawn back into that for a time before you finally yeah, no, turn it around. The, being drawn back into that is the easy route because that's doing what you know. That's going back to the same thing. So that's. To me, that's the easiest route, and that's the, the route of least resistance. It ends. It usually ends up with you back in jail, or even worse. But that's the that's the path of least resistance. To say I'm going to not get pulled back into that, I'm going to fight the, the 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 pull of that. It's not easy. It's a, it's it's tough, and I think you know you have to have support. You have to have people there that are supporting you, that are you know saying hey. You know, we're going to help you get through this. We're going to make sure it, it's just uh, it's not an easy situation to say, I'm going to, you know, just change my life from where I was to, to where I want to go. And yeah, I, I did. I got pulled back into it. And again, to me, that's the that was the easier route. The challenging route is to say, I'm not getting pulled back into that. No matter what, I'm not going back that route. I'm going to continue to to move on the path that I'm on that that's going to take me to a different place. Uh, you write about this as well at, at length, and we talked about it a few months ago. But um, the number of times where you thought somebody was going to find this, and that you know these things happen in a pre-internet world, and it was interesting because when we talked back in September, a simple Google search on your name would have shown none of this, and um, you know we, we had to dive deep into to other research mechanisms to find some of of your past. But at any average person or any employer would have never known this. We wrote the story. You've written your book, and now when you Google your name, all of this is there for the world to see. And uh, for you, I know that you know you had you know the, the stress, the anxiety of carrying this secret for so long. It caused you migraines. It caused you other physical issues, and that this was a release of sorts as well. But it's fully out there now. When you now Google your name, it's 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 there. How have you kind of come to terms with 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 this new reality now? So, so it's been, um, again, it's been kind of a mixed situation because, uh, for me, for years, um, I held this in, I hid from it. I was afraid of it coming out and, you know, trying to keep it as hidden as possible. Uh, so for it to be out there now, it's like, that's a challenge for me to know that I'm, I'm still, I'm still becoming, getting comfortable with the fact that my story is out there for the world to know. I'm still getting comfortable with that. And so that's the challenging part. But by the same token, um, it's been a relief. It's been freeing for me. It's like I don't have to be worried now about, well, is this going to come out? Is somebody going to find out about this? Is this going to change my life in any way? Um, I don't have to worry about that part. Now, I don't have to carry this secret around and um, the, the nightmares are gone. The, the migraines are gone because I feel like, you know, I've let this this burden. I've taken this burden off of my back, and it's become, you know, somewhat freeing actually. So, uh, so it's been a, been a mixed situation. You know, it's been challenging to know that this story and this, you know, background that I've kept 
secret for so many years and tried to hide is now out there for the world. That's a little bit challenging, a little unnerving. But um, but by the same token, uh, I feel I feel a lot freer now. I feel like, you know, a lot of times I would go and talk to young people, uh, kids at schools or, or in any situations, and I would feel like I'm only able to tell them part of the story. And I was always being like, in the back of my mind, I felt like I was shortchanging them. I was cheating people because I wasn't telling them the most important part of the story. Because to me, to say, hey, you know, I went to college, I graduated, I got a job and I worked my way up. That's that's great stuff for kids to hear and share some of the, you know, things that I learned and things along the way. But leaving out that whole part of the story where, you know, hey, you know, I went through a lot of before I got to this point. And if you're going through stuff, you can get through it and you can you can change your life. You can make it through those things and get to a better path. But I wasn't able to share that with, with people back then. And so um so, you know so 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 again it's been a it's been a challenge to to feel like hey the whole world knows now what I've been trying to hide for all these years. But at the same time it's re- it's rewarding and it's kind of freeing the fact that uh, it's out there and I don't have to worry about trying to hide it anymore. Yeah. Um, as we wind down here, it just it occurs to me, and um, if, if you've got a minute for this one on, on a different note, we're speaking to each other on the, the second anniversary of, of Kobe Bryant's passing, and I know you knew Kobe, and it's been it's it's a it's you know three weeks removed from the second you know year mark of David Stern's passing, who I know you counted as a mentor. Uh, an important figure in your life too. Um, quick anecdote about either or both. Uh, favorite memory of of David or Kobe? Uh, uh, David um, was someone that uh, uh, I, to your point, was a mentor, um, a confidant, and I think I'm finding out now. Um, David might have known more about my past than I thought he did. Really, um, I'm kind of hearing that and kind of finding out now that. Uh, there were some things that maybe surfaced a little bit that uh, that you know he might have known or had heard about, or so. So David, to me, was um, like I said, he was a, really a friend and a mentor, and helped me uh, significantly to get through um, the job, especially when I was at the Trailblazers. He was like, I, I, you know, at least once or twice a week, I would call David with an issue, and he. He'd always have the answer for me and always like, OK, this is how you need to handle that. This is what you need to do. And um, and so so that and I, I I wish that I had been able to have this kind of conversation with David to be so. So, you know, he would he would know exactly what my background was and what he knew or didn't know. But I think um, it would have been, uh, I, I, I wish I had had an opportunity to, to kind of have this conversation with him. Kobe, um, Kobe to me, the thing that, that I uh, am so, I don't know, I guess regretful is the word. Cause I think Kobe was going to do some things beyond, after basketball that were going to have an incredible impact on the world. I just think he, he his thinking after basketball and his approach to things after basketball was going to have an a, like I said an incredible positive impact on the world and I just think that it's a it's a tragedy that you know we lost someone like that who 
um, who I think, again, aside from his basketball prowess and all the great things he did on the basketball court, I think Kobe was destined to do some really incredible things off the court. And, um, you know, someone that I, I always, uh, from the time I first met Kobe, I always liked him. I always thought he was just like a, a really cool guy. And, you know, we, I, I would see him and we chat about a lot of different things. And, um, you know, I, I just, uh, I think, like I said, it was, it was a loss for a lot of us. People are still, I still have a hard time, like, accepting the fact that, that, that Kobe was gone just like that. I mean, that, that, that's challenging. And I know, um, I know he and MJ were, were really close and uh, it, it was a, a major blow to him as well. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a hard one to deal with. It is. It is still. And uh, it's hard to believe it's been two years. It's, it, it is still hard to believe he's gone. Um, and you, you mentioned Michael and, and the, the, the bond that they shared. You probably knew better than the most of us. But when Michael spoke at the memorial a couple of years ago, it was the first time I think a lot of us realized the depth of, yeah. of their relationship and how much Michael meant or how much Kobe meant to Michael. We knew how much Michael meant to Kobe. Um, yeah. And, uh, that, I mean, that was a very revealing moment. Um, you know, one that I, I wish we kind of had known before. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, and I, and I think, uh, you know, they both kind of kept it kind of quiet how close they were, but they talked yeah. on a regular basis. Um, you know, Co- Co- Michael looked at Kobe like a little brother and that was his, that was his little brother. And if, uh, to me, Kobe is the closest thing to MJ that, we've had up to this point, but uh, yeah, it's just still, it's still tough, you know, accepting the fact that, that he's gone the way, the way it happened. Well, Larry, I know you've got some more of uh, these interviews to do today. And um, I, I, I appreciate all the time you spent today and, and as well back in September. Um, I, I do want to encourage people to go ahead and pick up the jump or not the jump. It's just, excuse me, jump. No, the jump. My secret journey from the streets to the boardroom by Larry Miller uh, with his daughter, Lila Lacey. And I just want to close with one quote from there that I just feel really resonated with me. Um, You note this late in the book that we are not defined by the worst things we have done in our lives, that we need to have mercy for one another and a hope for redemption rather than the American way of locking people up forever. Um, Amen to that. Um, thank you for writing that. Thank you for writing the book and for spending the time today, Larry. Really appreciate it. My, my pleasure, Howard. Thank you. Okay, that's it for today's show. My thanks again to Larry Miller for joining me. Thanks as always to our producer, Shelby Royston. Thank you all for listening. Remember, you can hear Chris Mannix and me every Tuesday on The Crossover with all the latest NBA chatter. And then on Fridays, it's me and a guest. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. Go subscribe to the Sports Illustrated Podcast channel on YouTube and hit me with all your feedback on Twitter at Howard Beck. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billy's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for.